Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Hello and welcome to The Reading Life, your weekly look at the Louisiana literary scene. I'm Susan Larson. This week I'll be talking with photographer Cheryl Gerber, whose beautiful new book is The Dance Macabre, Celebration and Survival in New Orleans. Chances are that you've seen Cheryl Gerber on the streets of New Orleans, documenting our cultural rituals and our celebrations, with one or more of the cameras slung around her neck. She's been collecting her considerable body of work, some 25 years, into books, putting together a formidable archive. First, there was New Orleans, Life and Death in the Big Easy. Then, Cherche La Femme, New Orleans Women. Now comes the Dance Macabre, Celebration and Survival in New Orleans, with a foreword by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. This is a tribute to our city's resilient spirit and the dance with death we do every day. Cheryl Gerber, welcome back. Thank you. So happy to be here. Such a beautiful book. Thank you. Such a beautiful book. But it's such a story of death and disaster, to be sure. But it's also a book that celebrates life and spirit and carrying on. So talk about coming up with this framing idea. Well, you know, I never take any photos with a book in mind. I just go out and I just photograph what I'm attracted to or what I'm many times repulsed by. And during the pandemic, I had time to just kind of go through and, and look at the photos. And I said, well, let me see if I can just put something together. I started putting it together and realized how much of it was focused on death in New Orleans. I mean, it was in the middle of COVID that I'm looking through these photos. And at the same time, I'm running out to the Black Lives Matters protest. We had mm-hmm. um, all of that going on at the same time. And I just started realizing how much living we do in New Orleans, which I think now after doing this book is precipitated with this constant threat of disaster and death right, all around us. It's so visible, the cemeteries, you know, our architecture, everything speaks to death in so many ways. Now, your books have been studies in contrast, Mm -hmm. and you pair up images and have them kind of appear with each other in conversation. I remember Terry Toulouse once said, New Orleans is a city that's always talking to itself. (laughs) And it does in these pictures. And there are a lot of saints and sinners in these pictures, Yes, indeed. So talk a little bit for me about the ordering principles of this book. Right. It's it's, um, much like I did with the first book. Even as I'm doing the book, I'm discovering the story that Mm -hmm. I'm building. And it always starts off colorful and beautiful. The photographs of Mardi Gras contrasted with like Southern decadence or uh, other celebrations we have. But then it seems like after you look at your archives a little closer, you start seeing 
the disparities that make life a little bit difficult to live here. The examples, of course, are waiting in lines for sandbags, waiting in lines yeah. for gas during a hurricane. Um, if you think about the funeral processions that we go to, we've all danced with death at some time in New Orleans. That's how mm -hmm. we celebrate life and death. So I think the dichotomies come from a place of just being here, photographing the wealthiest people in New Orleans and some of the most cultural and colorful events, but also the funerals, sometimes caused by tragedy or violence. And so I really do get to see that wide range of good and bad in New Orleans. And yet you're so cheerful. Always. <laughs> I always say we have to laugh to keep from crying That's sometimes right. around here. You always have that smile. But talk a little bit about the dance macabre, how this organizing principle came to you, the metaphor, what kind of research you did about it, how you thought about it. Well, I mean, if you look at the cover of the book, uh, there's a picture of Austin Feldbaum, who I met while I was doing this. He was lining up for the crew de Mayuel, the Day of the Dead, the mm -hmm. Mexican carnivalesque type um, parade they do uh, at the beginning of November, like they do in Mexico. And his face is painted half with the skull, like you see on the Day of the Dead, and then half not painted. And he's getting ready to go to this parade where we celebrate death, just like they do in Mexico. And I thought about how much New Orleans does dance with death. We dance at the funerals. We dance at second lines. I see people dancing on top of tomb sites, yeah. that sort of thing. And it just made me realize that something had to be done about death in New Orleans because we do celebrate death as much, if not more, than life itself. And the dance macabre itself was originally German, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, from the late Middle Ages, mm -hmm. I think. In 2020, I got up at 5 a.m. to go see the North Side Skull and Bones, uh -huh. and that was before we knew about the virus. And we were out there. The North Side Skull and Bones is uh, a black masking tradition that goes back about 200 years where they dress up in these oversized uh, paper mache skull heads and skeleton suits and they meet at dawn before Mardi Gras and go throughout Treme and knock on doors and sing and chant reminding people that death can come at any time. So live your life now, get your life straight before it's too late. And literally, what, two weeks after that, three weeks maybe after Mardi Gras, we were shut down. The whole city was shut down due to COVID. And it does make you realize how much uh, we need to appreciate life in the city. And you know how they say, you next? Yeah. I think yeah. we're always very aware of that. Yeah. Here. So you've organized this book into several sections, but let's start by telling us a little bit about Wild Man Loco. Oh, Wild Man Loco. He's a, a black masking Indian. He's. I actually featured this particular photo in my first book, Life and Death in the Big Easy. Uh, while I was out photographing empty New Orleans due to Katrina, it was a ghost town. Only people in the city were the National Guard and um, people with press passes like myself. And I was going through the Eighth Ward and I see this big Mardi Gras Indian bib with feathers flying and I think he had the horns of the crown. 
and scribbled on it, it said, Wild Man Loco, I'll be back. Yeah. Well, I didn't know who he was at the time. I just thought it was a poignant photo to show that, you know, despite all of this, Wild Man Loco is going to come back. And 15 years later, I'm at a Mardi Gras Indian Super Sunday, and there he was, now in a wheelchair, because while he was working on the river after Katrina, 10 tons of cargo fell on top of him. But he still goes out and participates in the black masking traditions. And I took this photo of him in his wheelchair, surrounded by an entire tribe of Indians. And you pair that in the book with a photograph of Steve Gleason in his wheelchair as well. Yeah, just happened to be um, walking around the fairgrounds at Jazz Fest and you know how they do those little second lines? And this was yeah. the Pigeon Town steppers, steppers, I believe. And they spotted Steve there and surrounded him and serenaded him. And people were taking photographs. And for people who don't know, I don't think anybody listening to this show doesn't know who Steve Gleason is. But he was the New Orleans Saint who blocked a kick against Atlanta in the very first football game after Katrina in the Superdome. And it just has come to symbolize the rebirth of New Orleans after Katrina. One of the football facts we all know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So talk about pairing those two in that moment you realized you should do that. Well, you know, I have quite a few wheelchairs in the book. And not a single one of them is stopping their lives of participating in the culture of New Orleans, whether it's the a lady who is being pushed during Mardi Gras by her daughter or her friend, having so much fun against the backdrop of Mardi Gras. And then, of course, Steve Gleason, who's bigger than life here in the city, surrounded yeah. by the people who respect him and love him. And then Wild Man Loco still participating in all that's good in New Orleans, despite tragedies. Well, you set this up as, as a kind of journey. You've got it exquisitely organized. And the first part, The Good Times Rolled, is set up as if you were visiting New Orleans for the first time. Yes. yes. And one very striking (laughs) pairing to me was the guy who's dancing on the sidewalk versus the guy who's passed out on the sidewalk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of those in New Orleans. Sometimes you're passed out because you are intoxicated sometimes passed out for I don't know what reasons, but we also have a crime problem and I see people shot on the streets. So there's that. So I didn't want to do a book that is just all glowing about wonderful New Orleans. We have enough books that show how wonderful we are. We are, but we also have a lot of problems. And I wanted to, especially this specific time period in New Orleans, we're going through, if you think about The biggest issues facing the country as a whole, Mm -hmm. climate change, rising temperatures and seas, rising crime, divisions in politics. That was very much like that here in New Orleans for the past several years. And I wanted to put that out into a a book to show how we as New Orleanians fight back against some of the problems Mm -hmm. that we face. And some of these spreads, like one is very beautiful, is this four-page spread that's just united by the color red. Oh, yeah. You have strippers. You have guys in red dresses. We know those guys. 610 Stompers and Father Jerome Ledoux. Yes, that was, uh, I loved him so much. And he was such a great person to photograph for a lot of reasons. 
But there he was at a special Silence is Violence event mm-hmm. after the murders of Helen Hill and um, De Niro Shavers. So I really wanted to get him in there, but he's wearing his red with his hands up in the air, just right. like the 610 stomper next to him, dancing in bliss with his hands up in the air. And yeah, the feathers can mean Trixie Minks, or it could mean Queen Taj Williams, who's <laughs> the Mardi Gras Indian queen, who's you know, out there creating a whole new genre of suit these days. Exactly. And then there's one really pointed kind of pairing that has the former Rexes. Oh, yeah. All get dressed up in black tie. And then all the waiters for a fundraiser for the Lagasse Foundation. Talk about that pairing, would you? Yeah, well, I mean, I go, to, I photograph a lot of events because the things you see in this book, I don't get paid to do. I just go and do those. So I go to a lot of wealthy fundraisers. Uh, the particular Rex photo was celebrating 150 years of the School of Design, the Rex Mm -hmm. organization. So they were just all there and they were, somebody was organizing them into a group shot. So I just photographed that. But when I think of black tie events, I also can't help but think of the waiters in the background, like the other photo. Those young people uh, that I juxtaposed against that particular photo are serving some of the wealthiest people in the country, not just New Orleans, during the Emerald Lagasse Carnival Duvan mm-hmm. event, which raises millions of dollars to support education and culinary and art programs. So I thought it was a poignant photograph to show, or pairing to show, these wealthy Rex guys next to the waiters also wearing black tie. And all of them and, looking very good. And saying. looking very good. They're very happy. And then there are urban cowboys that you captured, and they're on one page, and then there are cops with cell phones. <laughs> that was, um, and I didn't want to disparage the cops. I actually posted that photo. That was a cell phone. A lot of the photos in the book are cell phone photos because, you know, the best, camera, <laughs> the best camera you have is the one that's with you. Yeah, I was just at one of those night out against crimes, and I just snapped a photo of these two officers sitting on horses. Each of the horses is looking away, and they're looking at their cell phones. And the urban cowboys are actually standing on horseback, standing, which is such which a moment. Which you see so many times during—I don't know if you've been to a second line lately, but there are a lot of riding clubs that bring mm-hmm. their horses in. That particular day was the uh, 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, so there were— a lot of horses that day. And yes, they just stand up on top of the saddles and dance while the parade goes by. You don't see that everywhere. (laughs) I know. I couldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) And then another one of my very favorites is the pairing of Big Frida and the Queen of Bounce House from the House Floats. Actually, yeah, that was really funny because I had a photo shoot uptown somewhere. And I said, well, while I'm I'm a little early, let me go look at some of these house floats because they were just putting them up. And and I drove by and I saw the Queen of Bounce House. And um, I took a few pictures. And then the owner, a lovely uh, nurse here in New Orleans, came out and she says, Big Frieder's on her way. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anybody. And sure enough, she did come. And I wanted to use the photo of Big Frieda in front of the Bounce House. But I just wanted the house to just, you know, be by itself in the photograph because it was so brilliant. Big Frida is awfully photogenic, too. She's very photogenic. And, so. um, 
Now, part two is saints and sinners, and that's an obvious pairing yeah. in this place. So talk about the saint superfans and the archbishop leaving the Boggs funeral. Yeah, well, if anybody's ever watched a Saints game, whether on television or in person, we see those super fans, the big whistle monster, and then but you also see the Pope, That's the right. Saints Pope, and the whole entourage. And they mimic perfectly the archbishop coming out of St. Louis Cathedral, like you see so many times. But, you know, the thing with the Saints and Sinners is in New Orleans, they overlap. So much. So much. <laughs> you know, we have Catholicism and voodoo and all of those things combined to make this great city. But, yeah, the, the saints and sinners I thought would be a lot of fun to do. I didn't know I was going to do chapters until I started arranging all the photographs. Sure. And then I was like, yeah, that's a saint or a sinner. I can't tell. But <laughs> remember, there's a saints and sinners LGBTQ and literary festival. That. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Now, one other striking pairing was uh, the photograph of the Black Jesus mural in Central yeah. City with the statue in Holy Rosary Cemetery. So talk about that juxtaposition. Well, the Black Jesus mural, and if anybody knows, I hope they call me and tell me who the artist is. I, I tried hard to find out who it was. I think it's on Washington Avenue in Central City and. I was photographing the ending of a second line, and mm -hmm. there were just people milling around. So there's this big, beautiful mural of black Jesus, and I juxtaposed it against a Jesus at a cemetery on, I think it's near Hanville, but it's in that Cancer Alley where right. you see Jesus on the cross, and in the background is the petrochemical industry. And you can't talk about Louisiana without talking about and, and death without talking about Cancer Alley. So I really wanted that to be in there because uh, there's a lot of other Jesuses I could have put in there, like the touchdown Jesus oh, on yeah. <laughs> Royal Street. <laughs> but I wanted to include something about the people in in Cancer Alley really fighting to try to improve their improve, environment. Yeah, exactly. Survive. And survive. So... Now then, part three, when the saints go marching in, has our dearly departed folks yeah, in there. Even, even before COVID hit, I noticed that it seemed like every month I was photographing a musical legend or icon that I had grown up listening to, like Dr. John, Pete yeah. Fountain, Alan Toussaint, and it just kept going on. And then... Of course, we do the biggest funeral processions in the in the world. But then when COVID hit and Ellis Marcellus passed away, Carol Sutton died, Ronald oh, Lewis, yeah. one after the other, we couldn't have those big celebrations of their lives. We had to quietly say goodbye or drive in a caravan past their home and wave goodbye. So I really wanted to do a chapter on those departed, especially because I already have so many photographs of the people alive and of well course. and participating in our culture, and then how we show respect for their lives after they pass. Well, I was struck, for example, by the picture of Mr. Okra, yeah. alive and well and being his self. Yep. <laughs> and then his daughter in his truck. Yeah, Ms. Okra now. Ms. Okra. <laughs> you know, and how we bring together objects that belong to the people like Chris Owens yes. in her parade one year and represented by her bonnet 
exactly. in 2022. That was very touching. That was um, emotional for me because I photographed Chris so many times throughout the years. And when I showed up at the Royal Sinesta to photograph that float where she's usually standing there and it was just yeah. her bonnet. And yeah, but people wanted to send her a tribute and they did. She also had, there was also a Chris Owens house float somewhere. Ah, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Now, part four is a tribute to the defiance and spirit of our city, which is what's underlying this whole book. And it's, we won't bow down. And a lot of the things, a lot of the photographs in this part are of the struggle over the Confederate monuments. Yes. So talk about what it was like to photograph that, because I have a feeling... That might have been very difficult at it, it was difficult for me. And you know, I was born in New Orleans, but um, my family moved to the North Shore when I was about 11 or 12 years old. And we used to see the Confederate flag everywhere. I didn't. I just thought it was a rebel flag, not knowing history, not knowing what it was, and just kind of accepted that. Um, of course, coming back as an adult, as soon as I was finished college, I learned how terrible some of the uh, monuments and and flags were to half the city, more than half the city. So even though I had never been blind to racism and white supremacy, especially in Louisiana, it was shocking to go down there and see actual KKK members, three percenters, white supremacist groups from all over the country. Going back after January 6th, I went back and looked at some of those photographs and realized there were many of the same people, at least the same groups Mm -hmm. that were there. So that was 2017. It was almost like a rehearsal. But I can't say that any other event in my life of photographing New Orleans took me back as much as that did. I just never thought I would see that in the streets of New Orleans. I never thought I'd see people with guns in groups. You know, that that to me was so shocking. Yeah. And such anger. So much anger. And New Orleanians fought back. I mean, you see the one, I can't say it on the air, but that one dump truck that comes up to the Jefferson Monument with a a big sign about what Nazis can do with themselves. Yeah. You know, they, people fight back. I mean, we had the Women's March, which was one of the biggest protests I'd ever seen which also prompted me to do the women's book before this right. book. That was a great book and a great march. <laughs> and a great march. And, you know, I wanted to, we had the strippers march. I mean, even the yeah. strippers, strippers have a lot to protest during those days. And, of course, with George Floyd, there was nothing like that uh, during a pandemic and thousands of people still came out mm-hmm. to protest for Black Lives Matter. So, so what did you learn about your work looking at all these pictures over time? I can see dichotomies and contrast because of the nature of my work. And it made me realize that a lot of people don't have the privilege I I have to see the wide range of activities here in New Orleans. Some people only live uptown or only live downtown, and they don't get to cross paths very often. And luckily, I get to do it. And I really wanted to show the broadness of, of our city and during these crazy times, I just really love the way New Orleanians um, come together to fight for or against something. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of problems in this city, but one thing we don't have is a problem connecting with each other. It sure seems like we 
all understand on a deep level how special New Orleans is. It is a gift to see New Orleans through your eyes, Cheryl. Thank you. It really is. Thank you. We've been talking with Cheryl Gerber, whose new book is The Dance Macabre, Celebration and Survival in New Orleans. You can meet her February 28th at 6 o'clock at Octavia Books. Cheryl, thank you so much. Thank you. Here's what's on tap in the literary life this week. Carolyn Hembry reads from and signs her new collection, For Today, appearing with Sky Jackson and Michael Todd Edgerton, Friday, February 16th at 7 at the Sightgeist Theater, books provided by Blue Cypress Books. Hembry also appears Tuesday, February 20th at 7 p.m. at Tulane University's Dibble Gallery. Darby Bam discusses and signs her New York Minute, the fourth in her Friendship Chronicle series, Sunday, February 18th at 4.30 at Blue Cypress Books. Lisa McMahon and Scott McMahon signed their two new middle grade books, Monsterious, The Beast of Skull Rock, and The Forgotten Five, Dangerous Allies. That's Wednesday, February 21st at 6 at Octavia Books. One Book, One New Orleans kicks off its new year with a reading by the former state poet laureate Mona Lisa Saloy. Her book, Black Creole Chronicles, is this year's reading selection. The event takes place Thursday, February 22nd at 6 at the Earl K. Long Library at the University of New Orleans, room 407. Jeanette Weiland presents a story time, Beignets for Breakfast, Saturday, February 24th at 11 at Garden District Bookshop. J.T. Blatty signs Snapshots Sent Home from Afghanistan, Iraq, Ukraine, a memoir. Saturday, February 24th from 4 to 5.30 at Octavia Books. Cheryl Gerber discusses and signs The Dance Macabre, Celebration and Survival in New Orleans. Wednesday, February 28th at 6 at Octavia Books. She also appears at the New Orleans Book Festival at Tulane University in March. Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books, with major support from Rouse's Markets. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation, the Jefferson Parish Public Library, and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in The Reading Life do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. The theme song for The Reading Life is by Matt Perrine and Sunflower City. The Reading Life is produced by George Ingmeyer and is a production of WWNO. You can listen to us anytime or subscribe to our podcast at WWNO.org. And you can email us at the Reading Life at WWNO.org.